Greetings, Seamheads, far and wide. Welcome into another edition of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14. I am Casey Light. You can follow me on Twitter at Light on His Feet. Very excited to be joined this Monday by Reno Nataro, co-host of Walsh and Nataro, or Nataro and Walsh, on Mile High Sports AM 1340 FM 104.7. Reno, welcome back. I prefer just Notaro, but we're working with the uh, attorneys about that. Well, but thank uh, you for having we would me be, back. We would be remiss if we didn't give some love to your co-host Sean Walsh, another great yes. voice heard on Mile High Sports Radio AM 1340 FM 104.7, and a big thank you to our sponsor. Tap 14, located at 1920 Blake Street with those 70 Colorado beers on tap and 100 Colorado distilled spirits. Rockies are just about to come back. The anticipation is there. They will be back for a weekend series with the Cubs starting on Friday. Get down there. Figure out which of those 70 Colorado beers you prefer and make that your choice this weekend when the Rockies are back in town there at Tap 14, 1920 Blake Street. So, Reno, we're going to take a look back on what was, in some total, a successful trip to our nation's capital for the Colorado Rockies. Rockies take three of four from the Nats, despite some really rocky performances both on the mound and at the plate. And so... On the whole, we have to look at it and say, okay, the the Colorado Rockies took three of four from the Nationals, a team everyone is expecting to be in contention come September. We have to be happy with that, right? Yeah, I I think completely happy with it. Three of four from the Nationals, some good starting pitching, some good bullpen work, but John Gray continues to struggle. Tyler Anderson continues to struggle. And, you know, they're young pitchers, but uh, it's a concern. And and I firmly believe that I don't buy into the season's early. Don't worry about it. I, I think every game's important because you win one early, you don't have to win one late. Um, I mean, in 07, if they would have won a game, the first game that they lost of the season, they wouldn't have had to do the, the 60, 163rd game against the Padres, but um, yeah, that's a concern. Trevor Story is probably the biggest concern for me because he's hitting a buck seventy-seven. He's one of seventeen in his last seventeen at bats, and seventeen, uh, eleven of those seventeen are strikeouts, and that's an alarming figure. And again, I know the advanced stats and the metrics. Oh, strikeouts aren't that bad. Uh, I'm not one to live and die by by that. I I think. Uh, Putting it in play, putting it on the ground can be important too because the defender has to make two plays. You got to scoop it and you got to make the throw. Um, but it, yeah, it's a it's a big big concern for me for Story. I don't have in front of me what his options are, but I think it's time to sit him or send him down because a buck seventy seven is completely unacceptable. Yeah, you talk about those advanced metrics, and a lot of people will tell you these days, oh, it doesn't matter. Strikeouts are up. That's okay. You look at Chris Bryant, for example, who struck out you know nearly two hundred times in an MVP season. Uh, but but let's look at some of the the other names that are with Trevor Story there atop the table. Uh, to use a uh, borrow a soccer parlance, uh, when we look at the 
highest number of strikeouts. The table is. Have you ever heard that? Yes. I know. I played for eleven seasons. So the table is is the standing, so to speak, or the the rankings, the the, the table, right? The table, as they call it. But uh, as we look at the strikeout numbers across the National League, Trevor Story is tied with Jonas Cespedes. Uh, of the Mets for the most strikeouts in the National League so far. Uh, Trevor Story with 26 of those in 62 at-bats. Cespedes has 26 as well with 58 at-bats. Here's the thing, though, that that when you look at these numbers and you say, oh, the advanced metrics, well, the reality is of the top five batters in the National League who have struck out most frequently, meaning 20 or more strikeouts, only two of those five are hitting above 200. And... None of them are hitting above 250. So it's not as though, okay, they're trading strikeouts for yeah, base home hits runs or doubles or, 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 or any, yeah. any, any of those numbers. They're literally just not putting the ball in play. And of those top five, uh, Trevor Story actually is, is hitting second to lowest with that 177 average. Lewis Brinson of the Marlins is leading that pack with a 131 average uh, and his 20 strikeouts. But yeah, I mean, Trevor Story clearly is is a major concern at this point in the season 10% of the way through. Penultimate would be second to yes. last. Learn, learn that one in high school, and it, I always try and fit it in whenever there's a chance. But Well, you've had no, the chance it, to now. It it it, uh, it is a concern. Um, I don't think he is long-term. If he was long-term, he wouldn't be hitting like this. Um, and he wouldn't have had the, the dire slump that he had. Not the dire slump, but he, he's not getting off the snide now. Maybe he will. Maybe maybe Bud Black just wants to ride it out, see if he gets through it. You got a home series coming up against the Cubs, um, and maybe he can get out of it. Then you, but you're playing the Bucks now. They're playing great baseball. They're getting amazing pitching right now, and so you got three in Pittsburgh before you come home to Chicago. So you know there's some some give and take there. Um, but you know th- this team right now they're nine and eight going into this uh, the C- series against Pittsburgh. So uh, considering how poorly they played against Atlanta, uh, the last homestand was. I think if you would have looked before the homestand and saying, "All right, you got Atlanta and San Diego, and then you go to." to dc you need to pick up the games against atlanta and san diego or you're going to be in a hell of a hole when you leave dc well that's not the case now and if they can at least get a game in pittsburgh then you know you'll 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 be doing okay because the cubs have been struggling a little bit and and the way this division again it's early kershaw you know you always have kershaw to get the dodgers out of a funk but he can't pitch every night and the way this division is is panning out i mean the dodgers are not getting the offense that they need they've that's been their shortcoming and it's it's really it's it's amazingly glaring now and uh, it's look the the rockies are at least breathing down arizona's neck and i think we've seen arizona enough and anybody certainly listening to this podcast follows baseball enough to know that arizona has the pitching and has some serious sticks uh, so yeah, um, I like the way it's turned out 
especially coming off that San Diego, what the the Padres and the the uh, Braves did to the Rockies. Yeah, an outstanding performance by Chad Bettis there on Thursday to Just open up fantastic. that series. Uh, I mean, really, we talked on on Thursday opening. You know, when we previewed that series, Jake Meyer and I saying that of all of the matchups, you know, we really thought that only Kyle Freeland and Tanner Roark potentially was that was an even matchup when you had Bettis going up against Gio Gonzalez it really didn't seem like that matchup was going to favor the Colorado Rockies but Bettis just went and pitched out of his mind you talked a moment ago about the the lack of offense that the Dodgers are getting and and surprisingly that's been the story for the Rockies early on in the season as well Uh, I wrote about this yesterday in mile for milehighsports.com but entering play on Sunday the Rockies ranked 27th in baseball 27th in baseball in terms of team batting average. Uh, the Rockies have only one player batting above 300 at this point in the season, and that's DJ LeMahieu. You know, you said you don't like to read too much into small sample sizes, but this early in the season, there's usually a handful of guys who no, are I will that, read that into are, it. No, that I, are hitting. You know, you look yeah. at Ryan Flaherty, Jose Martinez, guys hitting above 350, 360 to start the season. Well, that's uh, not going to continue, but, but I think they're I, – I, I, I don't shy away from when I see a team struggle early on. I, I never, I'll never forget the 2012 opening series when the Rockies played at Houston and lost two of three to a horrible <laughs> Astros team. And I came back here thinking, there's something wrong with this team. And there ended up being some. They were a terrible team. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I think you can read into some of it. I don't think you should overreact. But, I mean, the way they started the season, the way Story starting the season – you know what's going to catch up to him? These walks. These walks are are going to kill the starting pitching because the guys are throwing upwards of 90 and 100 pitches through four and five innings. And A, you can't keep that up. You're going to tax the bullpen to death. And you're going to wear your starters out. And you're going to give the opposing team so many more free chances on the base pass. So next to Trevor's story, I, I actually think the walks are more glaring because with story, you're replacing one guy. With the walks, it's multiple pitchers. It's, well, Gray had, I think Gray only walked one guy, but he got shelled. And then all the other pitchers are just walking three, four, five guys. And if you're walking two guys in five innings, that's too many. If you're walking three guys, you know, it's just, it's too many walks. Yeah, John Gray had that predictable John Gray blow-up inning. Uh, you know, he was battling Max Scherzer, you know, almost inning for inning, uh, and then goes in the, into the sixth, you know, that it's that those fifth and sixth innings that have just been his kryptonite. Um, he, he kind of, whether it's he loses focus, he loses, you know, the, the, the Rockies announcers, you know, uh, Drew Goodman and, and Jeff Houston will tell you, oh, it's not the third time through the lineup. It's not that old thing. But but we've seen it happen so many times yeah. over. You know, Gray struggled in that in that sixth inning, ended up getting chased. But he did have just the one walk. He, he's cut those down significantly. But you talk about the walks that Tyler Anderson gave up. Tyler right. Anderson walked, what is it, walked six and or walked four and and uh, gave up uh, and struck out six. It was, it was yeah, a I think huge it was number. Five, five walks, something like that. And it's just... Way too many. What happens with John Gray reminds me of what used to happen with Jason Hamill. Hamill would be cruising along, pitching pretty well, and then he'd have that one blow-up inning. Now, I'm not comparing Hamill to Gray as far as talent, but uh, right now, John Gray's not living up to his talent. He's he's showing flashes of it. In fact, the start before he went against Scherzer, I was just about to tweet because he looked like he was in a bit of a groove, 
And it was as I was tweeting when he gave up the first of the back-to-back home runs, and I was like, well, that's changing everything. Yeah, and, and I, I apologize. I, I was giving, I was trying to give Tyler Anderson the benefit of the doubt, and because I had written this for, for my piece yesterday, and I just, there was, there was maybe something in my mind that repressed it that didn't want to admit that Tyler Anderson walked six batters yesterday in 4.2 innings, four nice and two-thirds innings. Yeah, I mean, yeah, great, you strike out six, but you also walk six. He threw 94 pitches and didn't even get out of the fifth inning. Yeah, you, you can't do that because then they have to use five more pitchers and it just it, it just taxes the, the bullpen. And I know they spent a lot of money on this bullpen and you can shuffle it around, but eventually it's going to come up to you. Those, those extra pitches, those extra innings. I mean, hell, if he could have gotten through six innings, gone another, gotten another four outs, that saves the bullpen immensely. And as the season goes along, it's it's you're not going to see it now, but after the you know as we approach the All Star break, after the All Star break, that's where it can start uh, really hurting the the Rockies. And they've been they and that's the thing they've been playing well and pitching so well on the road, and the wins on home versus the road is mind blowing when you look at it. Yeah. That this team is. It has, what two wins at home? Yep, two, and and <laughs> two and four at home. Yeah, and they're playing so well on the road because they're getting the pitching. So you, you talked about the the tax the taxing nature of of these walks on the bullpen, and and that's something that you know again in that piece that I wrote is is at the forefront of this. We're seeing. Bud Black have to press that bullpen button so so frequently because it's it's a twofold issue. Rockies pitchers are getting themselves into trouble early and having to turn the ball over because we have a lead. We can't afford to give it up also because the offense is not producing. The Rockies are winning these very close, tight games. You look at Adam Ottavino, already 9.2 innings pitched. Brian Shaw, 9.1 innings pitched. Chris Russin, 9 innings. Antonio Sensatella, 8.1 innings pitched. Jake McGee, 8 innings pitched. Wade Davis, 7 innings pitched. I mean, project that out. If you want to do your do the, the stats project that out and think of you know that's like that's beyond what Matt Belisle used to do when he was being used at maximum well and and yeah we're we're at the 10% mark in the season yeah. more or less at, at game number 17 in the book so you just tack an extra zero onto these is Adam Ottavino going to, going to be able to pitch 92 innings this season no he, he's not that's probably not yeah i mean not unless I mean, he wants he to does, Tommy John surgery yeah, again. and if he does and doesn't get hurt he's going to get make a hell of a lot of money um doing so um, you know, I mean, we're on pace at this point for 80 Jake McGee appearances. I mean, that's not realistic. We, no. we know that and look, we, we keep hearing the offense will come around. The offense will come around. Uh, we started to see DJ turn a corner this weekend. So let's, let's make sure we acknowledge cause DJ obviously was, was huge in that series. Um, well, we pick, start picking up some of the slack for Nolan Arenado, who was, you know, decided to drop his suspension and just, you know, accept his fate, take those five games yeah. and try and get himself back onto the field sooner rather than later. And we started to see Trevor Story come out of his funk. And before this slump that he's in, this one, one for 17 slump that he's in now, he had gone four or five games where he had had hits in consecutive games. He had a multiple hit. I think he had a two hit game. And those are the kind of games where you think, all right, he's getting out of it and getting out of it, and then it just didn't happen. And you need more production, I mean, from a, a shortstop than, than what he's doing. It is early, but there's something's going on, and, and it's reminding me of Ian Stewart. I don't think Story has that, that little loop in his swing that Ian Stewart had, but I remember talking to Jim Tracy 
Because Ian Stewart was about as good as Nolan Arenado defensively. If you remember back to that, that guy could scoop up anything. He just couldn't hit. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't change his swing. And I rem- remember talking to Jim Tracy, and Jim would get mad off mic. He'd say, if that guy doesn't listen, he's not going to be in the bigs. And mm-hmm. he's not in the bigs anymore. And he, he has the glove talent. But it, you know, if, but I think all of us that love baseball know that if you hit, they'll find a place for you. That's what left field and first base is for. Corey you know, Dickerson. Exactly. But, <laughs> I mean, it's true. And, and if you can hit... Look, that's why Albert Pujols has had this long a career. Todd Helton had this long a career. Helton started off in left field, and they were like, mm, that's really not going to work. We'll put him at first base. Well, but, you know, so it, just hit, and you're up. Let's talk about a guy who has changed his swing this year, Ian Desmond, uh, because Desmond is another one of those who's falling into the category. He's below the Mendoza line at this point, hitting just 190. Obviously had the big hit on Sunday, that home run, uh, but had had – had just one hit in the entire series, a little infield single dribbler type of a, of a hit to open the series in that very first game, then couldn't find his way on base after that, but hit the home run. That had to be a cathartic moment for Ian Desmond, but he's only hitting 190. I've been a supporter and a backer of Ian Desmond because my belief is that Ian Desmond just needs some dang consistency, both where he's hitting in the lineup and where he's playing in the field. If you looked at how Ian Desmond got out of the gate, we know he had a rocky spring training. He started to correct things towards the end of spring training when he was getting more consistent play at first base, when it started to, to become clear that that's where he was going to be. He started out early in the season, consistently playing first base and was hitting pretty well. Then all of a sudden, because of a number of different reasons, Bud Black starts moving him around the field. And all of a sudden, Ian Desmond, who's now played center field, left field and first base is back to hitting below 200. Uh, Is this a major concern for you? in that Desmond's going to find himself in a bench utility role if he doesn't turn this around? I think so, because the Rockies haven't addressed the long-term solution at first base. And if before the season started, I thought if Story struggled at short, you could move Desmond back over there. And if he's not hitting, then uh, that's that's really not the, the point to do it. I just don't know. Do you go down to the minors, bring up your, your stud future shortstop, you know, that's something that the Rockies will have to Well, the Rockies think of. have Pat Vileka on the bench if they wanted to send Trevor Story down, at least just to get his eye on the ball. But Pat Vileka has been no better. Yeah, he's he like 083. Is, yeah, he's, he is just two for 31 so far this yeah. year. Uh, and you would have liked to have seen Vileka maybe, uh, you know, take a few leaps forward in the starts that he's had because he has been given a couple of opportunities to start at first base. Ryan McMahon got the nod in a few of those games because of the the right on left pitching matchup there with Arenado out uh, in Washington for a couple of those games. You'll probably see Pat Vileka get the opportunity to start a couple more games here in Pittsburgh, maybe at least one. However, he's not hitting the ball either. So, so really, all of these options that you have at shortstop, at least guys with established major league experience, whether it be Story, Vileka, or Desmond, not a single one of them is really doing anything worth note offensively. No, and, and you need to take one of these games in Pittsburgh as well as the Bucks are playing. Um, and I think I like the pitching matchups for this series. But, yeah, right now they they do not have an answer at shortstop and for the time that Nolan Arenado is going to be out. I mean, you just have to do patchwork 
Hope they can have a big inning. Hopefully, you know, you get a home run like you got from Desmond yesterday that, that saves the day. And your bullpen comes through. Yeah, the Rockies have relied so heavily on the home run. With 24, they rank first in the National League. But with their 165 team strikeouts, they rank dead last in the National yeah. League. So they are truly living and dying by the home run. Yeah. Um, it is, you know, big swings are the only way that they're putting up their runs. I, you know, okay, that's a little hyperbole. It's not the only way, but... No, but, but it's it's a glaring... It's, it's feast and famine is what it is, and... Uh, I mean, it stands out. I mean, I I love digging into stats, and when yeah, you, you see something like that that's so glaring, it's it it you can't miss it. Yeah, it's you look at those those numbers. They're not only dead last in the National League in strikeouts, but also last in team batting average at two seventeen, and on base percentage at two eighty five. Yeah, and, so, and I mean, well, I mean, and all the way down, like you said, there's only one guy hitting over three hundred. Cargo is having his ups and downs, more downs, but. Um, you know, he's made some great plays defensively, uh, but he needs to pick up his hitting. Yeah, and, and Cargo, you know, we said this about Cargo in that he's had some clutch hits. The same thing with, with Ian Desmond is that even though the hits maybe aren't coming as frequently as you would like to see them, they have come in situations where they've mattered at times, and so that's that's always important. Uh, Charlie Blackman is back from injury, uh, comes back and proceeds to hit home runs on yep. consecutive days. Uh, it was basically the Rockies' only offense there on Saturday against Max Scherzer. But what can you say about Max Scherzer? Sets down 20 yeah, in a row. Uh, you know, I, I, I've mentioned this before. I, I fi- found it funny that the Rockies had a piece on it where they compared Gray and Scherzer side by side af- through 61 starts and, and showed the comparisons. Um, I've d- I did that back uh, when they were at 50 starts apiece. Um, you know, Scherzer's first 50 starts and then Gray's first 50 starts and the numbers add up what doesn't add up is the mental aspect of it and and you and I have talked about this a lot you know John pretty well we both think he's a great guy um Mark Kisla had a had a comment about this yesterday but maybe he's just a little too much of a people pleaser to well, be that true you know shove it up your nose starter like Max Scherzer is well I actually think he he does have the mindset but it, he is still young in the grand scheme of pitching. I mean, Nolan Ryan really didn't harness his fastball until he was in his late twenties. You know, he'd have those moments where he'd throw the the no hitters with the Angels, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't until he was almost thirty years old with the Astros that that he was coming around. And it does take guys sometimes. Sometimes you have Tim Lincecum who does it all early on in his career, and then arm flames out and he's out of baseball before he's 30 years old. Uh, now he won several World Series and Cy Young, so he had a great career. But, you know, some guys just flip around. I, I, the perfect example is in the field with Charlie Blackman and Cargo. They're, the, they're essentially the same age, and Carlos Gonzalez has been a starter for 10 years for the Rockies, whereas Charlie Blackman, this is what his fourth, fifth year, in the, as, a, as a major player. So it took him a little bit longer. Uh, so, some guys, it just takes a little bit longer. And I think I, I still stand by John Gray. I think he's going to be a great pitcher, but it's just taking him a little bit longer. It's just concerning because this team, because he is in the starting rotation with more young guys, with, with uh, you know, you're, you're talking, Sensatella's 22 um, 23, yeah. 23. Uh, Freeland is 22, 20, 23, 25. 25. Yep. I mean, uh, Anderson's older. He went to, to Oregon. He's, I think he's 27 or 28. 28. Bettis is 27. He pitched it, you know, he's, uh, he pitched it, uh, 
What do you pitch? Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. Yep. And then, uh, you know, so uh, again, I, I mentioned it before, all the American pitchers, starting pitchers for the Rockies played college baseball. And um, so they've been a little bit older, and I, I don't know. I haven't spoken to any of the uh, you know, Breidich or anyone about whether they specifically intended that or just that's where they fell in the, in the draft. But uh, sometimes I just think it, it takes a little bit more time. I mean, it's taken better some time. I mean, he's – it's what, last two or three years is when he's really starting to, to come into his own. And he was – he's five – he was drafted in 2010 – out of tech, so I mean that's a, a long time ago. I think it is twenty ten. Yeah, twenty ten. Yeah, twenty ten. Second rounder. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah, you're right. You know, Chad Bettis. He had that that you know you started to see flashes of it in twenty fifteen when he finished eight and six. Um, that ERA at four twenty three and twenty starts, and that was a, you know I think yeah. a, a surprising solid year for him. Really had the the, the best year so far uh, of his career. Then in twenty. 16, 14, and 8 really anchored that that rotation at that point. And then obviously we know what happened with, with the cancer treatment yeah. last year and, and sort of derailing the entire 2017 season for the most part. But The guys are learning how to pitch, and, and uh, you know, I that's where I don't want to overreact is, you know, get rid of them, so, you know, uh, send them down. But it's, it's just it's alarming the, the way they're missing the strike zone. And, and – we all talk. We all give Bud Black the credit. Oh, he's managing this team and managing the pitchers. Well, if you're going to give him all the credit, then there's got there has to be a balance to that. Do you do you attribute any of the struggles early on with this starting rotation in adjusting to Chris Iannetta? I don't. I, I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think it takes that much to adjust. I mean, you pitched in college. I pitched. I mean, it's. I don't know. I mean, he's wearing a mask. I can't see his face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ionetta calls a good game. He's been around the league for a long yeah. time. Uh, I, I'm trying. I'm just trying to find answers. I'm trying to find. Yeah, I, and I don't why, have any. I, why, especially Gray and Anderson, because if you look at what Bettis has done, two and zero with a two point zero four ERA in his three starts. Uh, Freeland, zero and two. Freeland's numbers are a little bit deceptive. He's been burned by a couple of quirky innings that that yeah. weren't really necessarily all his fault um but freeland has has seen some improvement and then marquez at 0-1 497 um look he had that really rocky home opening start that in my opinion it, it was there was a lot of different factors for that one but but marquez he's the one i th- i i i'm i'm probably the most nervous about regressing from what we saw from him last year, because he was so dominant at times last year, I get a little bit nervous that there's going to be, you know, a, a book on him when there wasn't one last year. You talked about a guy like Lincecum, and, and there's, you know, maybe some some similarities there between those two because you know the live arms, the super young age, uh, just going out there and kind of just, you know, surprising everyone. Um, so much life on their on their pitches, but you know, is Marquez going to? Is he going to be the one that takes that big step backwards? Um, you know, Bettis and Freeland, though, I've, I've been very happy with. Obviously, the performances that they delivered in Washington, you know, back all of that up. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it does. And I, I think we'll just have to wait and see how they go through. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, maybe Anderson was skipped in a start. Um, especially they're going to have an off day on 
Thursday before they come home. Yeah, the, the, the first one in 17 days, which that factors into this as well. When you yeah. play 17 days in a row without a break, uh, it messes with your life. And you throw in the fact that you have players get suspended because of a fight. Sure. That's going to throw in a, a lot of your, you know, a lot of wrinkles into your, both your rotation as well as into your, you know, just your day-to-day deployments. But look, they're coming out of the Washington series, a game up. Game over 500, going into Pittsburgh, a very talented, a very uh, a, a team that's playing very well right now in the Bucks. Um, so yeah, let's see how they do against Pittsburgh. They're going to need all hands on deck with Arenado out, and then uh, take the day off and regauge it and get ready for the the Cubs coming in because that's going to be th- that's a series where you you would expect to take two of three from the Cubs. This isn't uh, a team that's been dominant thus far yeah pirates sitting at 11 and 4 atop the national league central rockies at nine and eight second place behind arizona i think the one that's surprising everybody so far early on in the season is those los angeles dodgers down there at five and nine brings a tear to my eye yeah i i I don't think anybody is is crying for the dodgers at at this point in their 200 million plus dollar payroll uh Yes, it, it's early still in the season. We're sure. 10% of the way through. We don't want to press the panic button quite yet, but as I mentioned earlier, there are certain buttons that are being pushed a little too frequently, specifically in my mind, the bullpen button. We saw yeah. how that can hurt a team down the stretch. We saw Greg Holland fade mightily yep. down the stretch last season. He got a little bit of help with Pat Neshek coming on, but you know, is there any you know, is there any guarantee that the Rockies are going to find a... a, a relief pitcher at the deadline we don't know I mean there's there's so many of those pieces in it and so yeah we can slice out those first 10 games and say well look if the Rockies you know continue on this you know path if if they're winning you know at a 529 clip okay we'll take that through through September that's you know probably going to be pretty close to good enough to getting them into into the postseason Um, but if they're having to press that bullpen button so so frequently uh, it's going to really complicate that matter. And the reason they're having to press that bullpen button is because the starters aren't getting deep into games. They're giving up too many of those walks and the offense so far has not yet come around. So those are the things that we need to see happen. And then uh, I want to see Bud Black when guys are pitching well, keep them in. I, was it Anderson or Freeland that was leading off the next inning after he went six and he pinched it for him? And I, I, I get that. You're probably supposed to do that. But he was pitching so well, and I want to see these guys get deeper. You want to see them work through that, and that's another thing. When they're struggling, you as a manager and a pitching coach, you want to let the young guys work through those problems so that they know how to react to those problems when you have runners on base. That's why I always love back-to-back-to-back-to-back doubles because pitchers don't like guys on base. It's just another pain in their ass that they have to worry about and so let them experience that. And uh, I, I just like seeing the pitchers go deep. I, I like uh, deep in the in the innings pitched. And and so I would like to see that a little bit more. Well, Bud Black learned last year, gobble up as many of those wins as you can early on in the season because they can pay dividends down the road. And I think that's a little bit of what's happening right now is he's just saying, hey, look, I got to take any W as I can early on in the season, even if it means maybe going to Brian Shaw a little bit you know, more frequently than I would have liked to early on in the season, even if it means going to Wade Davis uh, a little bit more often you know, with those 
NL leading seven saves already. I mean, we saw this exact same pattern last year with with Greg Holland. You know, the Rockies jumped out. Uh, obviously, they were a little bit better than than the nine and eight mark. That you know, they were they were so so good in April, May, and then and then into the mid part of June. So I don't fault Bud Black uh, for for trying to grab as many of those wins as he can because again, the formula worked. It got him to the postseason last year. Uh, you know, and and again, we we talk about all these. You know, we have all these issues that we're concerned about. Look, the Rockies are one of two teams in the National League West at this point that are above. 500 yep. so yes we're 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 quibbling over little things that we want to see improved but they're little things that ultimately add up to big problems down the road if they don't get corrected yeah, you start fixing the walk problems and that's just going to open so many uh so many things up it, it, it will again save your starters it'll allow them to go deeper it'll allow you to not use your middle inning pitchers as much and uh, yeah, it's it's, and there's just handing the other team a, a runner on base. I mean, it's it's very simple in in that way, and and throwing strikes at something, and it's not like they're doing this on purpose. It, look, they've been told since they were eight, nine, ten years old, throw strikes, let your defense help you out. That's why they're back there, and especially in Major League Baseball, because strikeouts are hard to get unless you're going against. Trevor story but <laughs> you know these are big league pitch- pitchers it's hard to get a, a lot of the the fastballs by him that's yeah you have to, it's well, location we, and uh you know, move the ball around well we talked about those you know the fact that they have played so many games on the road to open up the season uh, 11 of their first 17 are on the road which is you know okay you can't really count the Coors Field factor quite yet no. um, and yet the Rockies rank 13th in the NL in runs earned runs home runs allowed and walks so among the league's worst in all of those categories uh strikeouts they're dead middle of the pack at number eight (laughs) there's a lot to be excited about so far in this season uh you know certainly the performances that we've seen from chad bettis dj lemayhew really started to come on of late uh we've been happy with the bullpen maybe not as happy as as with its the frequency of its use, but its effectiveness has certainly been very, very good. Um, a lot of holds, a lot of saves. We're, we're seeing it do its job. So let's talk. Let, let's let's praise those things, but but also maybe just put a little bit of an asterisk on these and say, hey, look, the, the Rockies have some issues that that will need to be corrected if they're going to stay in contention as the season wears on. Without question, I think you hit it right on the head. Um, it. There's a lot of potential. The starting rotation is young, and let's let's see where they go now. Coming back home to Coors Field, how will they weather this homestand? Because again, this is a team that when they it's opposite of other teams. Like when you come home, all right, hold your breath. How are they going to do? And thus far, the offense hasn't offset any of the pitching, and that's what you eventually need to happen. Well, the Rockies will return home for a three-game series with the Chicago Cubs beginning on Friday after a well-deserved day off on Thursday. But before they do that, they have three games in Pittsburgh. We'll be keeping a close eye on those. Make sure to follow all of the action and analysis on milehighsports.com forward slash Rockies. You can find that coverage from myself. I am Casey Light. You can follow me on Twitter at Light on His Feet. Ronnie K Radio will be doing a lot of great work for us, as will Anilo Piro. Tons of great stuff coming on milehighsports.com covering your Rockies. 
Really looking forward to giving them that day off on Thursday when we will return with this podcast and we'll take a look at those 17 days that the Rockies played consecutively. We'll, we'll, we'll break down what went right, what went wrong, a uh, little bit broader view than maybe we've had even today. Then we'll start to look ahead. The Rockies have the Cubs this upcoming weekend, and then they will be uh, it, they will remain at home next week with yet even more games against the San Diego Padres. Uh, that's going to be an electric series, knowing uh, how the last one yes. ended. We're looking forward to that. Uh, that is Reno Nataro. You can follow him on Twitter at Renoitall. You can listen to him on Mile High Sports AM 1340 FM 1047 from 2 to 4 every single weekday. Reno, before we go, I do want to say thank you again to our good friends over at Tap 14 at 1920 Blake Street. You can follow them on Twitter at Tap 14, spelled out, or online at Tap 14. Spell that one out, F-O-U-R-T-E-E-N. But before we go, I just want to ask you, were you as heartbroken as I was yesterday that Bartolo Colon could not pull off the no-hitter? It it amazes me. I pulled up his stats and to see – I still think of him as a Cleveland Indian, and he only played four or five seasons there, and it's it's mind-blowing that he's still pitching. It's just – it is – it's amazing. It really is amazing. I just – I laugh because – He's 43, 44 years old. He was in, he was, he was pushing Nolan Ryan, uh, who one of my, you mentioned Nolan Ryan earlier on and and the longevity, obviously that he had 27 Uh, seasons, the most by any major leaguer, Nolan Ryan with, with the seven, no hitters, the last one coming at age 44, Bartolo Colon would have been better than Nolan Ryan by seven months, 21 days. Had Uh, he pulled it off yesterday, uh, you know, uh, pour one out for Bartolo Colon, big sexy, because, uh, look, Nolan Ryan. Ryan when he retired and Bartolo Colon when he eventually retires. Yeah. Uh, the, the physical specimen between the two of them is a very different animal. You've got a thoroughbred horse yeah. in Nolan Ryan and, and whatever you want to call him, Bartolo yeah. Colon. Um, yeah. But what, it was a, that was a special night for baseball up until the eighth inning. Um, still a special night and a lot of fun. Uh, so, hey, uh, Bartolo, we're with you. Hey, go out there and do it again. Uh, and do it against another really great baseball team, just not the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, exactly. All right. This has been another edition of the Blake's Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14. Thank you to Reno Nataro. You can catch him on Mile High Sports AM 1340 FM 1047 every weekday from 2 to 4. We'll be back on Thursday as we look back on those 17 days nonstop that the Colorado Rockies played baseball here to open up April. We'll talk to you then.